Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello, welcome to chapter 41 of the Corona Diaries. And I've just been informed by Mr H, who is now doing some form of impression with a, a, a cable round his face, that apparently I blether on. But I'm not going to take it personally, it's absolutely fine. No, it's a great skill. <laughs> what are you doing with that? What is it? I was just being Fu Manchu. It's, ah. just, a thun- it's just a thunderbolt cable. Right. In a in a, 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 a I can't even say Fu Manchu Fu Manchu style. Was that who was who played Fu Manchu? Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Did he? I don't know. He didn't play him. I just I was still on Fu Manchu. Um, I don't know. I no, don't I don't know. know. Damn thing about him, except that he probably looked Chinese and had a lot of strange facial hair. Okay, right. But you've you've ceased being Fu Manchu. We're back in the room. I've put it down. Right. Um, good morning, we... everybody. Good morning. How are we? Are we are, who's who's mowing the lawn? Nobody. It's bloody February. Right. And freezing cold out there today. Should be able to hear us at least. Yeah, it's a bit. It is a bit near. But mine, it's, near. you're up north, love. I mean, it's well, always I am, a I bit am, colder up north. I am. I am. Um, we're still basking a little bit in the afterglow of of the uh, of the kind of live. TCD from last week, aren't we, a little bit? Yeah. That seemed to all went off quite well. Yeah, it was absolutely... Yeah, lovely to see Dave G. I, 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 I forgot, you know, I, I know he's lovely, but I forget how lovely he is till um, I'm in amongst him again. Mm. He's just such a lovely person. Mm, yeah, proper, proper lovely. Yeah. Proper, proper lovely. And, he, and he, uh, he, he went down very well. Um, he's had lots of a, a huge outpouring of love for Dave. There was on the night and since. Yeah, Every, um, you know, I think if everyone in the world was like Dave G, there'd be no wars. There'd be, you know, it'd no. be a really interesting place. Yeah, and everyone would be very comfortable with the lockdown because nobody would ever go out. No. So no, and there'd be, be a lot, a lot of jangly guitar. A lot of around. groovy staying in. Yeah, the yeah. distant sound of Rick Rickenbacker's going down, 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 down. Which I and thought I... they did on their own when I bought one. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly and how, can that, and how can that be a bad thing? How can that be a bad thing? <laughs> I still can't get over that, that you thought that guitar would just do that on its own when yeah. you bought it. Yeah, imagine my surprise. <laughs> I'm sure you were astonished. <laughs> right, so this week, we I don't know if people remember, a few weeks ago I mentioned that there'd been a question that had come in from a gentleman who lived in Chapel Knapp. Oh, fair enough. And Chapel Knapp is near Caution. And we had a conversation because I had no idea where Caution was, but um, but you did, didn't you? Chapel Knapp sounds like Cockney Rhyming slang, doesn't it? <laughs> for poo. I'm just popping for a Chapel Knapp. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give that half an hour if I were you and all of that <laughs> Caution, yeah, Caution's very nice Caution was very nice I've never been, I've just Googled it I had a, a very good friend at school who was he was one of those sickeningly talent, talented, brilliant kids who, who used to get straight A's without doing any revision. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he did it, mm-hmm. um, but he did. He was just incredibly bright and soaked up knowledge like a sponge uh, without really, whilst doing something else. Um, and um, he was called Carl Gerrish, and he, he sadly passed away a few years ago. He was an artist, a pure, very pure artist, the kind of artist who would just, you know, live in a shed 
um, which was kind of, was it a shame? I don't know. Um, if you're a middle class, it was a shame um, because he was really brilliant and he, he mm. could have gone to Oxford and come out with a, you know, straight um, first-class honours degree and probably anything he studied. But he, he settled for, he, you know, he, he, his passion was art and he made um, playing cards, tarot cards, hand, right. hand um, etched into metal and then printed and then hand-painted. And I've, I've, got, I've got some here that um, he kind of gave me but he didn't exactly give me them. He um, he borrowed 120 quid off me to buy a guitar, which I never got back. Um, and so he gave me a set of his playing cards by way of remuneration. I still have them. Well, I keep calling them playing cards, but they are actually old sort of... Are they tarot cards? They're not tarot cards. They're, they're like medieval playing cards. Right. Like what preceded playing cards right um and the only reason i've got onto this is because he went to art college in caution there's a college of art there down by um it's down near bath isn't it it's down that way isn't it well you said or, that last uh, time i haven't checked but i've oh, no okay. reason to disbelieve yeah you. it's down there and it's it's beautiful and they they use it to film costume dramas sometimes as well because it's such a beautiful oldie worldy sort of spot. Anyway, you were saying. Well, I was saying, but the interesting, the other thing about caution as it came up, because we had a conversation in the last one about the fact that uh, we have a listener called Adele Hamey who's in Jersey. Definitely. It turns out Adele Hamey used to live in caution. Oh. So it's all coming round. Oh. Finding out about it. And not Adele Swindon. She didn't used to live in Swindon. Well, she mentioned that as well, but. We seem to be filling a lot of Adele's backstory, don't we? Yes. <laughs> Let's leave that one. Yes, and rightly so. And nobody knows what I'm looking at. Right, so anyway, the chap in caution... Or no, chapel nap, which I now can't say, as it's now rhyming slang, um, is, is Justin Beanie. Yes. Yes, and Justin comments on quite a few things. And he says, like many others, I'm constantly blown away by H's excellent lyrics. I'd like to ask a couple of lyric-related questions. Now, normally I would have put this in one of the extra uh, bits for the patrons, but because it was quite an in-depth question, I thought we can make an episode proper out of this. So, first off, to my ears, a big part of your lyrical style seems to involve intentional ambiguity or double meanings. Is this something you consciously enjoy exploring or is it just the way you naturally write? I think double meanings are pretty irresistible. Um, so I will quite often use um, metaphor or I will or, or I'll go with a line that that, that that could have echoes of of a, an entirely other meaning in it i find that quite i find that quite interesting um i love words you know i, lo I love how you can string words together to to paint a picture um and i lo and i love um i love impressionist art I don't really love abstract art. I don't love all that modern stuff, which is lots of coloured squares. It doesn't. I can see how it's decorative, but it doesn't do anything to me. But I love the Impressionists because they're like dreams. Um, you know, you you kind of know what it is, but it isn't it. Um, it takes you. It can take you somewhere else. So so I. I love I love I love dreamy paintings, unless they're twee, in which case I don't like them. But um, I think some some my approach to writing words is probably a little bit impressionistic, but then it has to be because you you never really want to nail exactly what you're talking about mm. because then it's less useful it's less uh, evocative 
So I got up this morning, went downstairs, boiled the kettle, made me breakfast. Isn't going to really do anything to anyone, is it? No, it's just a blues turnaround, isn't it, really? It's just information. Yeah. Um, But it's a way of setting a scene, I guess, for something interesting that might happen in a minute. (sighs) Yeah, because that... (laughs) Truck drove through the window. Well, 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 I was just thinking, because what you just said is actually a little bit like the first part of the lyric to She's Leaving Home. Yes, I guess so. But then you have a, then then there's a big moment coming, isn't there? So I suppose if you're trying to paint a picture of normality because there's a big thing about to happen, that probably makes some sense. Hmm. Um, Yeah, but I'm just drawn towards, and and obviously Justin's probably read some of my words where I felt I was being perfectly literal and obvious but because he's not me it it probably hasn't been to him so i mean what's wonderful about um words especially when they're strapped to music and they become songs is that i think i think the strapping of words to music it's like a delivery system which plants them somewhere deeper in a human being than a poem will. And I think you can read a poem, you know, no matter how wonderful, and it sort of gets so far in. But I think if it's strapped to music for whatever reason, mm. it's like, you know, it's like a vaccine. It's it's sort of delivered at a deeper level. Mm. Um, and so those same words can move you more than if they were just words written down, perhaps. I don't know. Um, Or those words might stay with you for longer. Um, So Justin carries on. Ta-da! Every time I finish. (laughs) (laughs) So you know. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So after that dramatic pause, so suddenly, so anyway, Justin carries on. Secondly, have you ever been tempted to revisit, change or alter a lyric sometime after the song is released? Or do you have a clear rule in your head that once recorded, any future tinkering is out of bounds? That's a good question. The answer is yes, but unfortunately I can't remember which ones uh, or why. Um... And I've written so many songs that I can't just go, oh, it was that one. Um, I mean, the the really obvious, it's not quite an answer to his question, but because of the way we write, I guess the way anybody writes, is I usually, I usually have words up front of, of the musical ideas. And sometimes they won't all fit in. And so sometimes we make the songs longer to get the words in, especially if I feel they're crucial, uh, which I often do. And um, and sometimes we have to lose a bit of something um, that I might regret for years. And the, the obvious example of that was... Um, the race the moon between the buildings line in, in this strange engine, which, which for whatever reason the band thought that section of music was long enough and didn't need to go on any longer. And uh, I found that regrettable because not only is it a beautiful image, it's sort of a, a, a dear thing to me and a, and a childhood memory, but it also um, provided a good rhyme. Um, you know, running as fast as I could run, sent to me the ghosts of Christmas, whispering, you're the only one. And so it set that rhyme up mm. as well. And so when we lost it, I was a bit miffed. Oh, shit, that's a shame. Um, and so I put it in the lyric, in the lyric sheet, even though it wasn't sung, so that if anybody read the lyrics, they'd get the line, you know, and then they could... Or go, oh, I wonder why I didn't use that. 
Um, and then when we re-recorded TSE on the um, on the strings album, whatever we called that. What did we call the album with the strings on? Friends with friends from the orchestra. With yeah. friends from the orchestra. Was that it? Or, or was I, that do you know what? I don't. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe whatever we called that. Uh, I better we, check. When we did it again with the court with the sextet, um, I, I put it in. You know, we we made that section a little bit longer. I, I said to Mike and the boys, I said, "Can I put my line back in the one that was <laughs> banned?" <laughs> banned. <laughs> so we put it back in again. Um, but regarding changing words I'd written in songs already because I felt they could be improved upon, I've never, I've never deliberately altered anything. I don't. There might be one line in something that I sometimes change for live because I thought of a better one, but I can't think what it was. <laughs> but but it, it's not much of an answer, is it? Um, no, but uh, well, what you've said is there's no rule there. So you're not. It's not that you wouldn't do it. It's that just that you haven't. Yeah, there's no rule because I, um, nobody in the band had bloody notice for a kickoff. So it's not <laughs> as though I'd get my fingers wrapped for changing anything because no one would either notice or care. Um, so I'm, you know, as far as the boys are concerned. Oh, that's H doing his thing, you know, yeah. let him get on with it. And provided he doesn't hold the show up, you know. We once nearly split up years ago. Did I ever tell you about the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story? I got no. It into, I got it into my head at a gig in Cologne. Um, <laughs> this was ages ago. I was talking to the crowd and I was on one. I don't think I'd been taking drugs. I think I was just high on life. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was talking to them about something in between the songs and I took it into my head to try and get them all to sing Rudolph the Rain- Red-Nosed Reindeer, even though it wasn't Christmas or anything. And uh, it really pissed Mark off. And he had a word with me afterwards. He said, you know, what's all that with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Well, you know, what was that about then? I said, well, I don't know, I just got it into my head to do it. And we had a bit of a falling out over it. Um, <laughs> it's amazing what you fall out over, isn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I so had a big kind of... We had a reckoning. A reckoning? We, we had a bit of a reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> These days I think he'd kind of be relieved, you know, if I... Went a bit off script to give him more time to have a beer or something. <laughs> but back then, I think he thought. I mean, I, I, I think there was a. a, a, a I suppose, as, as is true with most bands, especially when they're young, they think they're a certain kind. They want to be a certain kind of band, mm. and they want to be taken seriously mm. in that genre. Mm. You know, and I think. I think Mark's always wanted to be in a progressive rock band, and that's fair enough because he's in a successful one. Mm. Um, So, you know, well done. Um, Mm. But bringing some singer and who's going to try and get everybody to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is is not, you know, it's not serious. It's not serious and it's not prog. And I I think there was a bit of that in the band that, that... I used to pull against a bit, not deliberately, just because that's who I am. And I think over the years, everybody's relaxed a little bit and just, oh, let him do his thing, Jesus. Now what's he saying? Now what's he doing? Oh, God, you know, I wouldn't say or do that, but he obviously wants to, so let him, you know, he can dig his own hole. And and I have dug myself a lot of holes, you know, Things I've had to apologise for, and I've told you, you know, I go, I go quite often after gigs. I go to sleep, and I and and I wake up about two in the morning and go, oh my god, did I say that? And it's like the tide goes out, and then it comes back in and brings in all this detritus. 
which is all the terrible things I said the night before. And I wake, you know, I drift out of sleep and go, oh, no, did I say that? Why don't I just shut up? Um, but there we are. And I we think check. probably other members of the band think that too. Think that as well. Why did he say that? And it, it's probably the reason that you and I shouldn't be doing a podcast because I think I'm exactly the same way. Are you? Yeah. Do, do you do you wake yeah. up full of regret? I have those moments thinking mm, perhaps shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Uh, so we're perhaps not the best. This could end very badly. Yeah. I don't think we could split up over Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer these days. You know. It would. It. I don't see the. A, nobody yeah. would care, and B, well, I no. wouldn't get upset if they did. No. So that would be fine. Yeah. Mm. I do see the thing about... I do get that about wanting to be a serious prog band and not wanting anything at all to detract from that. Yeah, I get not it. necessarily I just, but prog I either, just that when you're young, you, you take yourself seriously. Very you know, seriously. Um, and your art form. And some artists, that never goes away. No. You know, they take themselves very seriously their, their entire life and that's what they're about. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I used to and now I'm a bit more goofy, I suppose. And, and I don't... I, I, I think what I learned from David Bowie was that there can be a difference between that person that you are when you're singing a song and that person that you are when you finished. Mm. Um, and what was amazing about Bowie was that, that he had this massive sort of serious gravitas whilst he was performing. And then in between songs, he would just grin and be this sort of cheeky Cockney character. Mm. You know, Anthony Newley or whatever. Mm. Um, and the sense of humour and great warmth would, would burst from him. And then he'd go into the next song and he'd be this serious thing again. Mm. Um, and I think had he remained that serious thing all the time, then a lot of his charm, well, he wouldn't have had any charm. No. Um, and to some degree... What made him great would, would, wouldn't have been quite as much either, I don't think, because part of what made Bowie great was his, was his warmth. Mm. He had great warmth and so people were drawn to him, not just because he was weird and made all that amazing music, but because he was, he was warm. Mm. Oh, that's, how, that's what drew me to him. So I think you can be both. You can you can make serious art without necessarily living your entire life with a knitted brow. Well, there has to be a human connection, doesn't there? So I mean, if you take, I suppose not. Well, there doesn't have that's... to be. You know, well, the, you know, Robert Fripp. You know, he's <laughs> mind you, I say that, but then lately, him and Toya have been putting out these videos of him dancing around in tights. Yes. <laughs> I, I've got, I've, I've feel I've got a connection with Robert. Absolutely, I've just seen some of that. I get the point I was going to make was take somebody like Van Morrison. So, so uh, you can respect I. Van yeah. Morrison, but it's very difficult to to have a feel a connection or an emotion towards Van Morrison because he's he is just a grumpy fucker. Well, Van's like the opposite of Bowie. You know, he he's, he makes all these light-hearted. pretty light-hearted tunes, you know, that are great and lift you up and brown-eyed girl and all of that. And then he stops singing and, and he's horrible. Mm. <laughs> so I guess it can work. <laughs> it depends what you're chasing down. Anyway, back to Justin. Um, uh, finally... And he says, and he says, open brackets, and please forgive me if I haven't been play, paying attention, which is very nice. <laughs> uh, with all the discussion about the TSA lyrics, I don't think I ever heard an explanation of the lines, the boys in the choir still remind him of just before he was born, remind him of just before he was breathing strange, misty visions of God. Is there a backstory behind these particular words? Yeah, when I was a I can still very, very vaguely remember... Um 
what I thought of as God hmm. from when I was young. Um, now, whether that was the vicar who christened me, you know, whether it was a flashback to as a baby gazing up at this robed character, but I, I, I kind of, or whether it was a dream I had, but I did have a strange, misty vision of God that um, I can still sort of conjure up. And it's not quite human. And it's got hair that waves like that, it's, it's, that goes like that and sticks up, and a strange mouth. It's more like a creature than a human. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not malevolent in any way. It's it's benevolent. Um, and I, heaven knows where where how that entered my head. But as a child, I had this what felt like a memory of God and of a time before I was born. Um, and I used to get little flashbacks as well uh, when I was young of of another time mm. and another place. And whether, again, they were dreams or whether they were little flashbacks to the Lake District from when my mum and dad had taken me you know, when I'd been, well, when I'd lived in Kendall as a, as a really small child in, in the Lake District and the old cobblestones, um, the old buildings, maybe, maybe they were actual memories. But they felt, I, I used to have memories that felt like they were from another time. Mm. Um, so that's really what, I'm talking about and and the the boys in the choir goes back to a choir that I was in. We used to rehearse in the, the girls' grammar school at night. We used to go there in Doncaster in the centre of town um, and rehearse with this guy, William Appleby, who used to broadcast for the BBC sometimes and, and he, he did a programme called Singing Together for the beep and it, they used to broadcast it in all the in all the um, schools in fact Jarvis Cocker on Radio 4 was doing a a program and he was talking about it he was talking about listening to singing together when he was at school well i was in William Appleby's choir because William Appleby lived in Doncaster and he had the train set that went through all the walls of his walls, house. Yeah. I'll tell you about all that. And the Terry's all gold that he used to hand out and he stopped handing the chocolates out, so I stopped going. I thought, bugger that. Um, and um, so I'm talking about that choir and those boys and probably I'm talking about singing Handel's Messiah or, or, or Oh Come All Ye Faithful and listening to the the harmonies and being really moved by that into another place, into a, you know, like, like something unearthly and heavenly, which reminded me of before I was born. Thanks for that, Justin. Uh, thanks for the, the questions. It takes us... It takes us on to talking about lyrics, and I think we're going to perhaps talk about lyrics a bit next week as well, uh, and maybe pick a song and explore it in a bit more detail. Because since that very first time we did TSE, we've not really come back to lyrics for for huge swathes of time. So we'll we'll more than likely do that. Um, but it's about time we, we we nipped off for a bit of diary, and there's a fairly epic few days in Italy coming up, aren't there, on the Brave Tour? Yes, I mentioned it briefly in the last episode because I thought the last episode contained this. Yeah. Uh, but but the diary in the last episode didn't quite get... Well, I think we were in Austria, weren't we? And we hadn't yes. quite got to Italy at that point. But we get to Italy, at the, you know, in this one. Um, and uh, it was a really interesting... A really interesting part of the tour in terms of the things that were happening 
with the dodgy Italian promoter. I want to say dodgy. This guy used to promote Genesis and he used to promote Bowie. He was he was the he was the man in Italy. He was the rock promoter in Italy, and I wouldn't have trusted him to order Tipex, let alone promote a rock concert. I mean, the guy was an idiot, and I, I believe he's still promoting to this day. But in Italy, it's not necessarily what you know. Well, let's go and find out a bit, a bit about that, and and we can have a a bit of a regroup and a bit of a chat about Italy when when we get through. Righty-ho, here it comes. Wednesday, 13th of April. Vienna, Padova. Day off. Happy birthday, Sophie. Woke around 9.45 and called home to speak to my little girl. She seemed happy and she said she had received my card. The flowers obviously hadn't arrived yet, so I didn't mention them. Hopefully she would have them when she got home from school at lunchtime. Spoke to Dizzy, who seemed a little low. She says she's missing me. Told her I'd call her from Padua when I get there this evening. Packed and checked out of the SAS Palais, for the long drive through the Alps to Italy. Chatted to Steve and Ian. Mark and Pete had gone overnight with the crew and marvelled at the scenery. Vertical pine forested snow-covered mountainsides lost in the steam of clouds. Occasionally we spotted a castle or a monastery perched impossibly on a high peak and cracked all the obvious jokes about James Bond and the Black Magic Man. Nick B bears a close resemblance to both. At the centre of the mountain pass, we stopped for lunch at a service station cafe and threw snowballs at each other before resuming the journey, ears popping as we descended towards Italy. Nothing is ever simple in Italy. We were pulled at the border by customs, who seemed quite certain we had drugs. A sniffer dog was produced, which snapped enthusiastically at Nick's groin, much to everyone's amusement, and the concern of the border police who were gathering, seemingly, to enjoy the spectacle. Everyone was smiling and asking us where we keep the marijuana and cocaine. We were taken to an office and made to empty our pockets while police rummaged through the bus. Welcome to Italy. After 45 minutes or so, they decided to give up and asked us for CDs, which we were then obliged to sign. The phrase, get stuffed, sprung to mind, but there's no point having principles in the company of border police. We signed them and drove off, thanking God we hadn't been strip-searched, especially as it turns out Nick, who later confessed he'd had a little ball of dope in his Y-fronts. How do you do an impression of a sniffer dog saying, I told you so? It was still a long way to Padua, and we eventually arrived at the Hotel Padovanel around 9pm. I heaved a premature sigh of relief, freshened up and joined Nick, Steve and Ian in the restaurant for a late dinner. I'd just ordered when Sandra Casali phoned, desperate for me to phone the Independent in London. Some column called Going Out or something wanted to know my favourite restaurants, pubs and clubs around the world. I thought about it for half an hour while I ate my main course and then returned to my room to call Joseph Gallivan at The Eye, the independent magazine. He said he was happy with it, so I went back to the restaurant for dessert and a beer with Ian and Nick before bedtime. I wonder what tomorrow has in store for us. This is Italy. Thursday, 14th of April. Milan City Square. Woke at ten by room service bearing cappuccinos. The sun was shining. It was spring here. Instinctively began sneezing my head off. I'm allergic to spring. I think it's the tree pollen. Cleaned my teeth while wandering out through my French doors into the garden. I have a tendency to walk about while I'm cleaning my teeth, especially on sunny mornings. A spring morning in an Italian garden takes some beating. 
Not for the first time, I contemplated my amazing good luck in having a job which offered me moments like this. Packed and met up with the boys in reception and consumed industrial quantities of cappuccino before departing for Milan. The journey was uneventful for Italy. We weren't threatened at a picket line. We managed to get gas. No one crashed into us for stopping at a red light. No one got shot. And when we arrived at the Milan Hilton, they were actually expecting us. Things soon returned to normal when Nick phoned the venue. The crew bus had been broken into. Smick's suitcase had been stolen. Wes's case had been stolen. Mickey Dean, our bus driver, had been threatened at knife point. The catering girls weren't allowed to cook. There were no dressing rooms, no showers, no hot water. In fact, the only private area in the entire building was behind the stage and there was no light back there. So everyone was squinting and staggering around with torches. There were fans outside when we arrived who pushed me around a lot and told me they love me. And that was just the boys. I know they mean well, but I find it really alarming when people I don't know get hold of me. I sort of get upset. I wish they would just be pleasant and chat to me and not get so hysterical. Sound check went okay. Everything was a little cramped, but there were no major problems. Jeff and Adrian warned me that by showtime, the mains voltage would probably have dropped because everyone would be home from work with the kettle and the TV on, so the PA and monitors would sound different. This is Italy, and that is the voice of experience. There was nowhere to relax at the venue, and not enough time to return to the hotel, so I went and had a lie down on the bus. The locks were broken, so a security man had been posted outside to stop me getting hugged or mugged as I lay in my bunk. Had a bit of a snooze and then found my tin of dubbing on a shelf, so I killed time cleaning my boots and watching the people arriving at the club while I waited for Nick. It was somewhat awkward getting ready for the show backstage in the dark. I ended up shaving, sitting on the floor, while Mark Kay held a torch to my face. The reaction of the crowd to the music was euphoric and took me back to Bon Biscuit Haller. They're a passionate breed of people, these Milanese. The sound on stage did seem somewhat different, although it's hard to say whether this was due to the packed and noisy crowd or the collective kettle boiling of Milan's townsfolk. My voice was somewhat scratchy, a worry considering that this was to be the first of five consecutive shows. As I came backstage to change for Brave, I found Nick B sitting in a chair with one naked leg stretched out in front of him and the embarrassed smile that usually accompanies a brave face undergoing considerable pain. He'd slipped in the process of confiscating a tape recorder which was being blatantly held aloft by a member of the front row, this is Italy, and dislocated his knee. Fortunately, it had happened to him before and he knew how to push it back in. Nonetheless, from the expression on his face, it was obviously pretty serious. Oh dear. We kept the encore short and tried to get him back to the hotel with the minimum fuss. To my amazement, as I ran the gauntlet from the gig to the bus through a crowd of enthusiastic and pushy autograph hunters, he appeared at my side to help. Thank you, Nick. You must be mad. Went back to the hotel. Ian drove following Marco from the record company, who got us lost. Eventually found the Hilton, where we were to meet EMI for a drink. No one turned up. Had to go looking for John A., who had taken my toilet bag up to his room. Thank God he doesn't tour manage. I felt utterly exhausted. I didn't have the strength to stand up in the shower, so I ran a bath, soaked the stale sweat salt out of my skin and hair, and went to bed. Friday, 15th of April. Milan, Genoa, Teatro Verdi. Rose at 11 and went shopping for a pineapple ended up in the Milan Central Station, a huge and incredible building like a blueprint for Orwell and Batman, one of Mussolini's big projects. No pineapples, of course. Someone in a bookshop sent me there when I asked for a supermarket. I probably took a stab at French, 
supermarché, then Spanish, supermercado, and inadvertently said something which sounded Italian for railway station. In the end, you give up. So I gave up and headed back to the Hilton. I got lost and ended up down a back street full of Chinese restaurants. We were leaving the hotel at 12 and at 10 past I still had no idea where I was. I did, however, find a fruit shop and bought a pineapple. Eventually I stumbled across a small hotel and was given directions to the Hilton, arriving somewhat flustered. I shouldn't have worried. The boys weren't ready either, so Steve R ordered up coffees while I ran upstairs to pack. Drove to Porto Fino, the legendarily pretty little town on the Italian Riviera, reminiscent of dirty rotten scoundrels. Beautiful villas, palm trees, immaculate terraced gardens on steep hillsides overlooking the sea. It took about three hours to get here along the winding coast roads. Checked in to the Regina Elena Hotel and sat on a small balcony in the sunshine and wrote a couple of postcards. The news from the venue was not good. The available main supply wasn't nearly big enough. The promoter will have known this for months. So a generator had to be hired from Milan, which the promoter was steadfastly refusing to pay for. This held up the entire production, so things were running late. We decided against going to the venue for soundcheck. We'd only have ended up hanging around, and anyway, it was nice here by the sea. Snoozed for a while and left for Genoa at 7.30. Arrived at the venue to hear Nick B resignedly speaking down a phone. No, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying that I have a signed contract here and it says there's a 100 amp three-phase power supply here. And there isn't. We said we require that to power our show and you have said that there is one. And there isn't. Yes, I understand that not even your brother calls you a liar and that you are upset, but I have a signed contract here and it says etc. The show was okay. We didn't play particularly well and again my voice was scratchy. A bit like it is now. The audience reaction was confusing. The first few rows were fanatics going hysterical, while beyond them, the remainder of the crowd seemed to consist mostly of 30-plus couples in expensive clothes and posh jewellery. A bit of a Phil Collins audience. We only ever get a crowd like this in the provinces of Italy. I wonder if they're all various offshoots of the promoter's family. The Promoter Nostra. After the show, Italy reigned i.e. chaos. Smick and Nick are pulling their hair out as Claudio Trotter, our promoter, is refusing to supply a generator for tomorrow's show in Ferrara. Priv and Alan won't have enough power to run the PA and lights. But that's only the beginning of our problems. The local council have refused to let our truck into the centre of town because it's too heavy. The entire specifications of our production and transport were supplied months ago, with no objections from the promoter whatsoever. The only option available to the crew is to leave our truck outside the town, unload everything into smaller trucks, and ferry the production into, and later out of, Ferrara in stages. Smek estimates that working in this way, the loadout wouldn't leave him enough time to have the show in Zurich by Sunday night. We're going to have to cancel the show. Talking to the fan club last night, there were rumours going round that the Ferrara show had never been confirmed anyway. Kids applying for tickets were being told we weren't playing. This is Italy. In the end, you give up. So we gave up. We changed our plans. Tomorrow we will drive to Zurich, and it's a shame, because there's a lot of people in this country who really care about the band. It took me a good half hour to get from the stage door to the bus last night, signing stuff and being hugged. Drove back to Portofino and went to bed terribly depressed. It was to be an early start tomorrow. Saturday, 16th of April. 
Portofino to Zurich. Day off. Got up at 8.30, showered and went downstairs for the required kickstart cappuccinos. Packed and checked out of the Regina Elena for the seven-hour drive to Zurich. The promoter is going to be angry when he hears we've pulled tonight's show and everyone's joking about having our legs broken at the Italian border. Everyone's joking, but everyone still remembers two of Claudio's chaps turning up in Nice with interesting underarm bulges to escort the trucks into Italy the last time we decided to pull a show. Hopefully this time we'll be out of the country before he has time to persuade us to stay. Nick still has only one kneecap to lose and he's got his right one strapped up, so Ian and Steve are, are sharing the driving. We got over the border without incident and everyone began to relax after we passed our truck parked up in Switzerland. I didn't notice the crew bus though. Eventually arrived in Zurich around five o'clock and checked into the Hotel Stoller. Had a bath and a snooze and in the evening popped over the road with Nick, Steve and Ian for a bite to eat in a Swiss fondue restaurant. Just walking in, the smell of cheese was pungent and unpleasant, even to my nose, which was in the throes of a bad bout of spring hay fever. So I sneezed my way through pork and chips instead. Came back to the hotel and managed to prize a drink out of the ignorant, unpleasant and undermanned hotel staff. Think we'll give this place a miss in future. Found Dizzy, who says everything's okay at home, apart from the garden gate and the kitchen light. Had an early night. And we're back. And that was uh, that's that's a that's a meaty section of diary, isn't it? That kind of builds over a few days. Um, was that? Fairly unique for Italy, or was that is that every time in Italy? It was every time until um, there's a guy uh, called Dave who helps to run our Italian fan club, and in the end, out of sheer shame, <laughs> desperation, he he, does, he started promoting our shows because he knew what a lousy reputation his country had in the mm. band and he wanted to make amends and since he got involved everything's been kind of much more proper mm. um but back then we were we were working with with one of the biggest promoters in italy and everything was very improper because i think the way the way italy worked i don't know if it's still like that but i, I think it might be it's not about whether you're any good at your job. It's about whether you're related to the right guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Italy's a country run by old men. Um, old men who tend to grease the wheels for their family. You know, so if, if you're born into a good family in Italy, you're basically sorted for life. And because you know that, you don't make that much effort because you know you don't have to. And so it's not a meritocracy, it's it's the very opposite. Mm. So you get people who really, don't A, don't know what they're doing, B, don't give a damn, it, you know, in, in positions of great responsibility in, in Italy. Am I beginning to sound like I'm talking about the British cabinet? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Does appear to be chiming somewhat. <laughs> Maybe we're I mean, not so different. I mean, um, but I mean, in rock and roll, at least in 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 the UK and and across most of Europe and in America too, the people who rise to the top are usually the ones who are really driven and know what they're yeah. doing. Um, and so things tend to get sorted out and they're done properly and they're done professionally and, and more so than in most other areas of business. Mm. Um, you'd think the rock and roll would be a bit slipshod, but it isn't. It's quite the opposite. It's super tight and, mm. you know, everything's done properly and sorted out and 
There's a lot to go wrong when a band swings into town to play a large venue. There's an awful lot to go wrong and it all has to be got right. And so in many ways, the the live, particularly the live part of the music business is extremely efficient and together and sorted and run by really pros who know exactly what they're doing. I think the movie industry's like that as well. I think mm. you know, when 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 somebody rolls into town to make a movie, a lot of people roll into town with them who know how to get stuff done, you know, and dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Rock and roll's like that. And and so when you go to a a, a place where people don't care and haven't bothered sorting stuff out, it comes as a real shock. Mm. Um, and Italy is a bit like that. It's a miracle that shows happen at all half the time. You know, yeah, because when, when you're talking about fundamentals, like have you got enough power to run a PA and the lights? That's it. You know, without, what are you going to do without that? Yes. Yeah. That's There's very like, little you can do if that's not been organised. We haven't sorted out any air for you to breathe. Yeah. You know, if... Well, that's that then, you mm. know. So, so even the fundamentals would be um, not even overlooked because <laughs> that, that implies forgetting. They weren't overlooked. Nobody gave a damn enough to bother. You know, checking anything out, and you'd you'd send a big, you'd send a contract saying we need this, 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 and this, and that would be signed and sent back. Mm. So it, there it was in in writing, and then it'd be like, oh, oh, you know, then there'd be all of this bluster, and there wouldn't even be um, any admission of of guilt or of of not having sorted anything out. You're like, well, you, yes, you can do the show. We've had other bands play in that place. You know, you get things like people say stuff like that. We've had other bands play there. Why can't you do it? You go, well, you haven't because there isn't any power. So they've either rocked up with their own generator or you've provided one. Where is it? Because there's no power in the, in the venue, you know. To, um, so there was, there was always an element of all that in Italy. And as I said, the, 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 I think it's the only time we've ever cancelled a show since I've been in the band. Um, I've never cancelled a show because I didn't feel well or didn't have a voice. I've always done them. You know, if I was at death's door, I've done them, as, as has everybody else. Mm. I mean, Mark did that show on the last tour in Germany, he literally got out of hospital and came to the gig and did the show, you know. Uh, so we do them. We do, we do them if we're half dead. Um, but uh, the only show we've ever cancelled was that one in, I think it was Ferrara, and it was because we were in Portofino we, the the crew had already had a day of hell with in, in Genoa with the promoter, and, you know, no generators, no this, no that, um, and then um, they got through that, and were on the phone to him again for the show the following day, where he hadn't provided any power either, um, and then they found out that he also hadn't arranged for the appropriate licenses to allow the truck into the, into the town, mm. which meant that we had to unload the truck at the city limits into two smaller trucks, drive two smaller trucks into town, unload them, do the show with no power, um, drive those two trucks back out of town at the end of the night, two in the morning, unload the Arctic again at three in the morning, and then drive to Switzerland and have that there in time for the load-in for the Swiss show. And our production manager said, there isn't, there isn't time. So we either cancel this show with this pain in the arse, insane Italian, 
or we cancel the Swiss show, that promoter's done nothing wrong. Everything's mm-hmm. sorted. So we're damned if we're cancelling that, you know, just just to cater for this idiot. So that was that. And uh, we 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 got up the following morning and got into this minibus and headed for the border wondering <laughs> if there'd be guys in sunglasses with JCBs waiting for us because it, it was, you know, it was very... It was it was all about the family. Yeah. So we, it wasn't until we got across the border that we all heaved a sigh of relief and, God, I hope the trucks managed to get out of there and I hope the, the crew buses across and... It was a huge, huge relief all round when we realised we'd all got safely to Switzerland without um, any of the promoter's friends paying us a visit. <laughs> and and obviously that was the last time you worked with him, I guess. Or, or oh, did, did you mend the relationship? No, I think that was the end of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think we spoke to him after that. Really, yeah. he probably filed some kind of lawsuit which probably didn't last long because yeah. it was all his fault yeah well if he's broken the contract he's got nowhere to go has he really well he broke he broke every contract he <laughs> ever signed. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just that it wasn't one. just that one <laughs> yeah well there we are italy that was a that was a i, I didn't know it was quite as bad as that i, I mean i i mean know. the thing about italy is so beautiful so achingly beautiful it's so achingly old and the food's amazing you Mm -hmm. know it's god's country Mm -hmm. so the chance to go there is something if you're sane you would always leap upon that chance to go because it's Mm -hmm. just so lovely and the people are lovely you know the Mm -hmm. people are fantastic they're beautiful um but we just happen to have this shit promoter and that 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 always made it difficult and you're you're right about the place. I mean, the best meal I ever had was in Italy. Yeah, uh, I should imagine anyone who's ever been could make that same statement. Yeah. Um, in fact, not just one, probably a number of them. But there's one particular one I remember being in. But and and you say that the people are just great. And I had a bowl of strawberries in Rome once, and I'll never forget it. And it was just a bowl of strawberries. Strawberries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I ate this first strawberry and nearly fell off my chair. I thought, yeah. how's that possible? <laughs> strawberries, they, don't, strawberries don't taste that good. They're just strawberries. How can? How do they do that? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but uh, it must be the soil or, this, or the weather or I don't know what it is. But mm. yeah, you, the go food's out, you go out for a lunch. You go out for a, you go out for a business lunch in Italy. I've done, done it a few times. And you'll go out at midday and you wander back in at quarter four. <laughs> and nobody's bothered. You just no. you just go, and it starts with a glass. You know, you, you, yeah. somebody will pass you a glass of prosecco just as a as a, a, a cheeky little opener. And but they're before... the, they're those guys who should be hiring generators that you're <laughs> yeah. having lunch with. That, that, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> I'm not suggesting the generator is inadvertently my fault. They're all but... at lunch. <laughs> they are. They do like a lunch. Yeah. But the food's just so, so good and so, so... And it's just such simply good food. It's a bit like your strawberries. It's just... It's not that it's fancy and it's just... It's just quality, just ridiculous mm. quality. It's just, you know... Like you say, there's just so much to love about the place, provided you haven't got to play there. Italy and France, to an extent, are countries where people really live. Mm. They live, you know, they, they enjoy life. They enjoy food. They, you know, they they have a a really elevated sense of design and and the visual arts, and they live to be alive, mm. and that's what we should all do. But but exactly. then there are other countries in the world, like here, and Germany to some extent, where. Life is that thing you just kind of get through in order to be able to be an efficient worker. Mm. You know, you, you, it's all about work and getting things done. And, uh, well, I'm going to miss lunch because I've got to get this done and I'm going to miss dinner and I'm not going to get home in time to put my kids to bed because I've got to get this done. This thing done. Um, and so, you know, 
you could you you can't criticize the Italians or the French for for actually knowing why they're alive because they probably look at us and go, what are these people doing? Mm. You know, choose life. Mm, indeed, and t- and and just take your own generator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, do do the show without electricity. What's the problem, yeah, you musicians? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the people, <laughs> people, people have said that to us, and we're going, oh god. <laughs> Haven't you got a banjo? <laughs> we, we used to regularly get people phoning up at Sean. They'd ring and they'd say, I bought a microphone and it doesn't work. And you go, right, okay. And what are you plugging it into? Well, I'm not plugging it into anything. I'm just holding it in front of my face and seeing it, and it's not working. It hasn't got any louder. <laughs> yeah. I expect it'd be a lot louder. Oh, I knew a lot of people when I was young who, who thought an electric guitar you know, was something you plugged into the wall. <laughs> you know, you had the jack plug on one end and the 13 amp <laughs> mains on the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I buy one of these leads? I can't seem to plug this guitar in. Why don't they sell the leads? Oh, dear. You must have gone to quite a lot of funerals back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, we've had the same thing. I've had the same thing. I've had the same thing. I've got my power cable for my microphone's got a funny thing on the end. Where, where do, how do I put a 13 amp on it? Oh, dear. Anyway, anyway we're about there for chapter 41. Um, so, uh, Will, are you, are you working today? Are you heading in? Uh, no, not today. We're in tomorrow. So I'm going to go and um, I'm going to go and meet up with Sophie. And have a, a little socially distanced walk with her in, in Oxford, see if we can find someone to sell us a cup of coffee and catch up because I haven't, haven't managed to have any time with her for a few weeks. Well, enjoy that. And I'm sure you'll find mm. somewhere in, in Oxford that will sell you a, co- a cup of coffee. There's plenty of places still doing takeout. In the... Oh, good. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll, you'll get a coffee, no, no, no problem, I think. Yeah, we'll wrap up warm and have a, have a little chat. Yeah. And, uh, Catch up. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I'm doing, I'm working on this vocal at the moment for for Trevor Horn. Mm. That uh, so far is just all right. And I'm hoping I can make it better than all right before he hears it. Mm. Which I'm sure you will. I definitely will. Yeah. Right. In which case, I'll chat to you next week. Okay, Anthony. I only uh, call you Anthony when. We're on when we're being recorded. Yes, you do. You do. I don't know why. <laughs> no why. <one. laughs> well, we had why. a lovely time. We did have a lovely time. And I can't possibly make you breakfast, Anthony. I feel like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've, oh, I, I can pour you a tequila. I've still got that. That's <laughs> still there, isn't it? I did a little bit early in the morning. For a honey tequila? Mm. Move the clock. Just literally move the hands on the clock. <laughs> Stick it on me toast. I'll feel better about it. <laughs> <laughs> feel more like breakfast. Right. I'll catch you next week. I'll catch you okay. next time. Toodle, okay. Toodle pip, everybody. Stay purple. Had a few new purples come in, actually, this week. Uh, okay. I don't know what's caused that. There's been a little flurry, so that's nice. little flurry of purple. Yes, if you're a new, if you're a new purple, well, I'll, you'll be hearing about yourself in the podcast, in the not the podcast, the croon, cast the croon cast that follows. I'm going to count down to the croon cast: five, four, three, two, 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 one, zero. Anne Marie Forger, Elena Barton, Ludwig van Swieten. Peter Clarkson Thanks for subscribing and 
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.